welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we are meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. Welcome back to Enhanced Living. So I always face this, I don't want to say face this issue, but it's something that comes up a lot when you're presenting, when you're, I mean, even right now hosting a podcast. This is something where I believe so many people come on and they are always trying to or not always, but sometimes people are trying to be something that they're not. They're trying to be something that they think other people want as opposed to being just themselves. Now, my guest today is someone who has over 27 years experience in film, in television presenting and public speaking. He is a behemoth in the industry. He is a public speaker and he is a presenting coach who matches presenters' talent with their ambition and helps them find their authentic voice. Andrew Eggleton is here with me today. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. Really nice to be on the show with you all the way over here from Australia. All the way down under. But just so you all the way down under, just so you know that I'm a Kiwi. This is a Kiwi uh, accent. I like the word behemoth. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. It, it it came to me in the moment because I feel like it's so fitting. I mean, for anyone who's not watching on YouTube right now and listening through the pod players, which is mostly all of my listeners, Andrew is, you can tell, I'm looking at Andrew and I, I've only met him over Zoom because clearly I'm in the US and he's in Australia, but I can no, tell he's anywhere. easily six six feet tall, right? Easily six feet tall, probably <laughs> six, I want to say six, four. When I was modeling, I used to actually have six foot on my comp card, but the reality is I'm five foot ten and a half. And it was whenever I went on set, there was a, a remember, I don't know in the old days, but we had phone books, right? The yellow pages, the white pages. Mm-hmm. And there was always the booklet of the yellow pages that had Andrew Eggleton written on it, especially especially for me. I was always shorter than the, the than the woman. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm looking at you and you just, you have this air of height to you. And so behemoth just works a, because I followed your body of work. And so there's that, but then B you just, you. you, you appear tall. I think it's the, I think it's the energy. Sometimes people project an energy and you're just like, wow, they're super tall. So, but five ten is not short. It's nothing to sneeze at anyhow. I feel like a coiled spring today. Like I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here just going, calm down, Andrew, calm down. I want to, do you know what I mean? You, you get me on the uh, idea, uh, the concept of presenting and authenticity and, and all things presenting. And I'm, I'm like a coiled spring. So my job I, is just uh, to breathe and hold back. <laughs> I, I love this. I do not want you to breathe and hold. Well, I want you to breathe because I don't want you to pass out, but I, I don't want you to hold back. So talk to me real quick. What, how did you make the jump from helping people find their true authentic voice or sorry, from doing things your own way, being your authentic self in what mm-hmm. it is that you were doing to then helping people find their authentic voice in presenting? What made you make the leap? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I always had the passion. My first passion was always presenting. And what's funny in, in New Zealand, like uh, there just wasn't 
I started this in 1994, and there wasn't the presenting coaches or mentors back at that time that were really available or focusing on that, but there was acting teachers, right? So I got into acting only as a byproduct of I didn't have the option that I wanted. And then the acting um, in many ways took off. I probably got the success a little bit, to be really honest, a bit a bit easy. Um, I don't think, well, actually, I know I wasn't a great actor. I, I secured a role on something called Young Hercules with Ryan Gosling, and I was Ryan Gosling's like right-hand man. This is like in 1997 or 98. But it was something that I got away with. I think that's the best way of explaining it. I got away with it. But my passion was always in presenting. But again, no one was giving it. And the point, and to lay this down first too, is I was not, it was not something that came naturally to me. I really started from the base level of awful, which I think is you know, the rite of passage. At first you suck. I was really eager and passionate and I was really good at picking up the phone or ringing producers and sending in letters to TV stations. This is before email probably <laughs> around that time, do you know what I mean? And so I'd send in letters and I, I was excitable. And I remember my first ever break, proper break, was, again, this would have been like 98, 99, where a, a live music show. He, he gave in to me, basically, a guy called Ruben Pillsbury, and he gave in to me and he, he said, okay, I'm going to put you on this live music show and you are got to play host, but I'm going to pair you up with this lady called Miranda, knowing that I needed a co-host. So I, I walk in there and for me in my head, I'm thinking, this is it. Like, this is my break. I'm about to go. This is, the, this is a naivety speaking here. With hindsight, I can see how naive it was. But this is my break. Like, I'm going to go from this show today and the world is going to see and hear me and that's it. I'm going to be a superstar. You know, sound familiar when you're in your 20s? It, it doesn't. And not knowing, not ever thinking that, what, what about talent? What about skill? What about being really, really, really good? I didn't care. I didn't even understand that. It was just like, give me my break. So I, I walk on set. And I'm under this pressure that every time she hits me the ball to speak, I have to be either really funny or super poignant and smart. And that's a lot of pressure to put on someone who has no idea what they're doing. So it was such a train wreck that within 20 minutes, I'm not, I'm not even going to exaggerate. I'm probably dulling it down here, is she starts crying and going red and then crying on live on TV. And I start panicking and I, I know that it's because I'm ru I've ruined her show. You know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm making such an ass of myself because she's hitting me the ball and I'm not even replying to what she's saying. I'm just got this stuff in my head that I've been practicing. So it's, it's completely unrelatable. So she starts crying and then to a point where she has to run out of the studio and closes the door. And I'm left anchoring the show with no skill or idea of what to do. And you can feel that tension. You know when you're on set with there's like a dozen people on set and the tension of the director, the cameraman, the lighting people, the, the, uh, the people who are running about and everyone's looking at each other going, what do we do? Like this, what do we do? And then someone just goes cut to a commercial break, puts the, you know, the hand across the neck signal <laughs> and it's, it's over and I'm, Told to, told to leave, Miranda comes back on, can't even look at me. And my friends who I'd bought to watch me had left. And they, they, they'd left and nothing was ever said. But I always go back to this as you start, at first you suck. And that was my 
experience of realizing that my skill level did not match my ambition. My skill level did not match my ambition. And that happened multiple times over the years. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it still might happen now and then, but it happened multiple times at that level. And so that's where I started to learning. I started to learn your skill just has to match your ambition. If your ambition is just to have, speak to 20 people, you don't have to be as skillful. But if you want to have thousands of people in a room and really move people, if you want to play at a world-class level, or if you want to play in that top 5 or 10% of the world, your skill level has to match that, that level, that top 5 or 10%, if not more. I started to get breaks, and I, I ended up creating my own production company that I would always place myself in as the presenter. And I got a, I got a very lucky break where I went to Cambodia for six months and they, they filmed a documentary of me coaching the Cambodian rugby team, which was pretty funny. But because I was on camera every single day and I was working with two really cool people, I just started to find me. I finally started to find my essence. And on camera, what I was discovering was that when the camera was on, I felt the shift between who I was and then who I was on camera, two separate people. And because I was one of those judgmental people that sit in the chair and watch presenters on TV and like go, yeah, he's a dick, or I can do better than that, or, you know, and pick them to pieces, I knew that people were doing that to me, obviously. So I thought, if people are judging me, let them judge me, not the caricature or the parody or the or, or this image or this thing that I'm giving them, which is very one-dimensional, you know, very one-dimensional. So my whole my whole drive was to reshape how people were presenting, to find out what authenticity actually meant. And, and that line or that information, you know when someone goes, hey, I'm going on stage tomorrow, or I've got this interview tomorrow, and everyone just goes, hey, man, this is my advice to you, just be you. But what does just be you mean? It's the most ridiculous advice you'll ever get. Because especially in your 20s, where you don't know what that you don't even know what that means, you're figuring it out. <laughs> That's true. It's what just be you, and you're going, but what part? Because the camera's only going to capture, or stage is going to capture 45 minutes or an hour, or camera's going to capture you for one or two to five minutes. Is what part of me am I going to show? And so you're already, do you know what I mean? You're already going, well, what part of me? Instead of the infinite opportunity or the infinite amounts of ways we can act and react in any given second depending mm -hmm. on what's going on so we get into this just be you and what does just be you mean so you have to my my whole journey has been discovering what that means and then how to make it tangible to teach people and then what does pure authenticity look like when the self-critic when the outer self-critic has there's so much distance between you and the outer critic that you can't hear it, or the outer critic has dissipated altogether. I love that. First of all, there are so many points on your journey that I can fully relate to myself as someone who, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I've got over 10 years of stand-up comedy under my belt, and I've done quite a few really big shows where they were amazing, and then there were so many that were not amazing. I started doing stand-up about, let's see, I was roughly eight or nine years into my career as an entertainer. And it took me still an additional two to three years of doing stand-up comedy every single night 
to Ooh. finally be my authentic self on stage. It took me two to three years. So if you say every single night for two to three years, that's what is that? That's roughly like 1200 times on stage to, to find, yeah, to finally just be me yeah. and to be able to, to just be the person I am when I'm sitting at home or talking to you right here to mm. be that person on stage. Now, of course it's heightened. It's always heightened. You bring your energy level up when you're on stage, yeah, but are you putting exactly, yeah. but you're not putting on a, a character. You're not putting on a, a show. Mm. I want to, so I want to touch on, you talked about the self-critic. I want to touch on that because it, it, it's something that I find that we all judge ourselves so much more harshly than anyone ever could, even though in our heads we're going, no, I'm going to, I'm going to kill it. When we watch it back, I mean, just, just talk to anyone about listening to their own voice on a, on a voice message. They're like, mm. I don't want to hear my own voice. I can't listen to my own voice. A lot of people have trouble listening to their own voices yeah. on, on a recording because we do, we judge ourselves so much more harshly. So what would you say is the best way to silence that silent critic so that you can find your authenticity? Is that, I mean, I'm assuming that's something that you work with quite constantly with, with, your yeah. clients yeah yeah for sure so look when i think when what you just mentioned there about looking viewing back and listening to yourself is what makes you feel awkward is the disparity between who you really are and who you're being seen at so it's very easy i mean you can watch yourself back no matter how many years you've been doing this and you can watch back and you can see fleeting moments where you're out of your body again you know you, you go that's not me my voice is had a pitch that's my presenting pitch and you can see like I love my partner laughs at me because I love watching my own videos back and she goes why do you love why do you sit here and watch your videos back over and over again because I'm like because I'm really good <laughs> <laughs> because I I can see little things that are very spur of the moment I can see the thousands of different subtleties and nuances in my face and my energy my hands my, my eyes and that makes me happy I can also see when I'm playing a caricature or trying to, or I'm indicating. Indicating is when we're trying to indicate to our audience who we are. Like I'm professional, I'm trustworthy. You know what I mean? It's I'm excited, and it's yeah. You 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 indicate, so you're not being you. You're trying to be something. When the self-critic completely dissipates when you get into a state of which I call, some people call flow, some I, I call it a conduit for infinite wisdom, or, or of late I've been saying uh, it's a moment that you share with God on stage or on mm -hmm. camera. And it's when you're really in the heart brain. It's, you're really in the heart brain. And, and the, the head and the heart brain work beautifully in, in tandem. The, the head is the technical and the technical is everything that you've remembered, everything that you've got stored away. It's your conscious, your conscious brain. All the information you've ever learned, the tools, the skills that still aren't bone deep, there's still skills that you're learning. Do you know what I mean? It's still not become craft yet. It's still top of mind. I still need to think about these things. Then you get into that heart brain, which is energetic energy. And that is the place where, you know, for me, it's where you're connected to something far deeper. And when these two things work in tandem, the brain plots the course. These are my points. This is my topic. This is what I. Uh, this is where I'd like you to feel, and this is how I'm going to get you to feel this. But the the heart brain is when you're speaking in that. When you're speaking in that, we're speaking in uh, when you're the state that you're currently in has a frequency, and that frequency or that energy will influence how you articulate your topic. So it'll influence the words that you use. 
So on a heavier, more melancholic day, you're going to, you still don't, it doesn't influence it to be bad or good. It just influences how you articulate it in a different way. So every day of the week, because of our condition of being human, we are in a different state, right? And when you embrace that state to not be good or bad or wrong or right or positive or negative to your presenting, then that energetically, if you're allowing yourself to, to be that, still on point, you're still on point. But that will, yeah, those words, that energy will influence the words that you use. And when you allow that to happen, it really connects you to something far deeper. Again, being a sharing moment with God or source or whatever you want to call it. Some people just call it flow. Other people will say it's the subconscious, depending on where your beliefs are. Sure. And I believe the words that come from the heart brain, when you're in that space, match the frequency of your greatness. They're your rawness. That's, that's pure authenticity. And when you get to a point when you're lost in that, when you just start speaking and you're on this, you, you, you know, the, there's your brain consciously going, holy shit, man, this is really good right now. Where is this coming from? You know, where, where is this coming from? Is someone writing this down? I'm glad it's been recorded. Uh, on stage, I will literally just tell people, I hope you're listening. This is really freaking good right now. I'll just <laughs> tell people because I know, like I just know what I'm saying right now is pretty freaking cool, isn't it? And that's the stuff. And the more that you speak from that heart brain, the more that your vocabulary fills up over time with words that have more of a weight to them. They have, they, your essence is attached to them. And this is when people's keynotes and when people's topics and, and what they speak on is so many more layers deeper than your average person speaking in that saturated level of, of, of beige or mediocrity. So everyone's picking this superficial layer of what do I know and I'm going to speak about. But the next level to that is what don't I know? What, what, we're looking for what can't be found by the conscious mind. And we're going below that and then peeling back the layers. So if I come up with a, with a line of only by me demanding the best will the best demand me. Like that came from me speaking from the heartburn the other day. And I, you know, that line just stands out from everything I said in that life. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it. I'm write that down and I'm like, oh man, that's so good. Now that will go into my keynote. And so over time, my keynote is just full of words that match the frequency of my greatness. They're words that I know that my keynote is packed full of things that have more weight to them. They connect deeper to the audience. I don't know why, but they're going, I didn't even know I was into the subject, but there's just something about this, this talk, these words, how he uses these words. I told well, you I, I was going to get excited. Yeah, no, 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 100%. And, and it, it excites me too, because I, I know what that is. I know what it is to be in flow. When you're in the flow, when you're in the zone, in the moment, whatever you want to call it, you're literally channeling. I mean, that's all you're doing. So it's one of those things where, I mean, I've been there myself. Time seems to stop. Like there is no such yes. thing as time. You get off stage and you're like, wow, that was a half an hour. Where did the half hour go? Or mm. whatever amount of time it is, it just doesn't, it doesn't register because you're just in it. You're in that present moment so deeply and mm. you're literally channeling that divinity that's within. And when that happens, that's where the magic is. That's the magic that people talk about when they're saying, hey, we're, we're out here, we're, we're making magic in, in this moment. Yes, it's not, yes. it's, it's not, you know, I, I think some people might go, oh, well, that's ego. No, 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 this is not ego. The reason it 
resonates with people so much. And the reason I'm even using the word resonate is because it is the energy that flows through you that the words are coming where you don't even, you didn't think you were going to say what you were going to say. You knew you had a point to make. You mm. knew the idea, you knew the shell, but the the shell gets filled up with spirit. And and I know that that's, you know, that's that could be a little esoteric for some people listening. But but the fact of the matter is, is that, again, we've talked about this so many times on the show that I can't even, I can't even count, but everything is energy. We know this scientifically, mm. we know. So mm. knowing that, knowing that we can channel on stage and you're bringing your authenticity to it, I want to touch on something real quick, which is the 10,000 hour rule, which I'm sure you're aware of, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours of doing something to become Mm. an expert at something. And I I want to kind of just toss this out there with respect to you started with, hey, when you first start, sometimes you suck and you just have to get better. But that 10,000 hours or doing it over and over and over again I would say, and I think you'll agree with me, and I know you're going to have a lot to say about this, that's what helps you unlock that heart brain while you're on stage. That's what helps you, It because the, the 10,000 hours is what takes away the, okay, make sure to look out to the back of the room, make sure you mm-hmm. get, get the front of the audience, make sure you're projecting, make sure your mm-hmm. voice is, once you get all mm-hmm. that stuff done through the 10,000 hours, that second nature, then you're able to channel, right? That's what they call the craft. I mean, that's when you're at the beginning of your career, people talk about craft and you, you kind of, it's a beautiful word, but you don't really know what it means if we're being honest. And craft is when those thousands of tools that at the beginning just seem confusing and you're very, uh, you're in your head, technical uh, about thinking about them. Exactly. Who am I speaking to? What part am I at now? What, what am I meant to say now? Or have I made a mistake? Or what am I doing with my hands? Where do I stand? And these are super basic things. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't even train a presenter where to stand and what to do with their hands. It's, it's none of their business. <laughs> How I approach that when I'm teaching people and is each time you use the skill, It'll go like a millimeter deeper from your, if you, if you look at your skull and then you go down to, let's say, your heart. Each time you use the skill, it drops down another millimeter, another millimeter, until it becomes automatic. And then when you have hundreds or thousands of tools running automatically, now you have craft. And a craft is like a foundation of which then your personality and your essence can play upon. Because then, then you're not thinking about anything. You just know that. You can build crescendos in your voice and then drop. All these little subtleties you're constantly using and an audience has no idea why they're so engaged and connected to you. But someone will go, my God, he just makes it look so easy. You're so lucky. It's just effortless. Yeah, but it's easy for you. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. This is 27 years. This is 27 years. I know when I look, deliver a line over to the side of the audience and then I pause and finish my sentence on that side and give them a little nod or a little knowing. Now, this is stuff that's been done thousands of times by me. And now it's automatic. And now I know. And when you get to that point of craft too, it's, it's no longer on the side of stage going, I hope I don't screw this up. I hope I don't screw this up. It's how good am I going to be today? Some might say that's ego, but, you know, I'm sure Al Pacino doesn't go on the side, you know, uh, get ready to go and do a scene and he's like, I hope I don't suck. He's going to go, why am I going to do this out of the thousands of options that I know how to do this? No, it's a hundred percent true. And I I just, I want to point out right, right here in this moment that what we're talking about 
it's applicable to virtually anything that we do, right? Becoming authentically yourself, putting in these, talking about the craft and, and working it until it's virtually second nature, where it's where it's not even second nature, it's first nature. You're just, you don't even think about what it is that you're doing. You're not controlling every little aspect and thinking about it. You're thinking about just, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. And you're, you're just doing it almost automatically. When we talk about presenting, this applies to accounting. It applies to every single trade, not trade. Well, yeah, maybe. Why not? It, it applies to anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anything that we do. Because the more you put into it, the more you do it, then you can allow your creativity to flow through it. It's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like that old saying, you need to learn the rules before you can break them properly. Mm. Yeah, right. I love that. I love that. I've never heard that. I, li- I like that. I like that. Yeah, because if you don't know what's what's meant to happen, right? And I, I always cut back to the events that before COVID hit, and I hate using COVID as a word in, in and of itself, but I also don't like using the word hate. But I just allude to it. I allude to it. I don't use it. I just allude to that thing. Yes, let's let's allude to that thing. Before everything went sideways, I, I keep going back to this event that I used to do all the time in Dallas. It was over a thousand people in a, in a, in a, in a huge conference room. And, and I, I remember every time I would go out on stage, it wasn't like, oh God, I hope I, whatever. It was just, yeah, all right, here we go. All right, all right let me see. How can I get this side of the room to do this? And then, mm. you know, and, and you're just thinking about what you're going to deliver and how you're going to go. And then you have someone in the ear prompter going, hey, we need you to, we, we need you to give us an extra five minutes. No problem. It's not an issue. Mm. You're not thinking, oh, gra- oh, oh, great. What do I, what do I, what am I going to do? What, what do I do? do? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, Again, the person running the lights and the sound on that show, that's someone who's done it over and over and over again. He's not trying to find me on the stage. He's not trying to figure out how to light the room. He just knows, flip these three switches and bang, we're good to go. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. just pointing out that it does, it applies to all the different things. I want to talk back about something you had mentioned earlier that I think is important. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, which is you had said in the beginning that your skill didn't match your ambition in the beginning. And I think that that's something that a lot of people deal with in that they go, I want to be the next Oprah Winfrey, or I want to be the next whatever. And sure, that's that's great. But where's your skill set at? Are you authentically you in this moment? And, and I think we should we should kind of you know crack that nut open a little bit and and see what's inside because because yeah. it's re- it's relevant. You know, the skill does have to match the ambition. And I guess the question is, how do we know? How does one know when the skill is there to meet the ambitious side? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think when the skill is there, your your outside circumstances start to reflect that, the opportunities that are given to you. And I was actually speaking to this about with, with some clients yesterday. Is one is, is reflected back to you by other people giving you opportunities, but it's also reflected back to you by you realize you just get to this point of going, why am I waiting for opportunities? Like, let's put on let's put on this gig, let's put on this gig. I mean, this is how I built this international speaking business is as an actor, I was waiting for someone to give me work. And it's painful. Like it's, it's painful. You know, you can, you know this, you can go for anything from a month to six months with no work. And I just got over it. And so I decided that with my presenting, I wanted to get to, a, to this level of skill where I didn't need anybody else. So you know, I built my, bus- uh, my, my business uh, in Australia and no one knew me in Australia. And then I kind of went, let's do London. And then London worked. And you start to get this confidence of, I'm good enough to get 27 people in London. And then the next year it was 55 people. 
in London. And then the next year, you know, this year the, the whole thing was, and Jake Ballantyne was actually going to fly over here to Australia, and I, my goal was to put 300 people in an event in Gold Coast. Um, and people would fly in from all over the world. And it got cuppered, obviously. Yeah. But the ripple effect of how good you are ripples into what you can, you know you can achieve. And you obviously always try to reach just outside of where you are so you can grow into it. Mm-hmm. But what I hear most, and this is a common question from me, it's actually a form I have people fill in before I even do a call with them, is I want to know what does it looks like for them in five years. What does it look like? Who, how many people are you speaking to? What does it look like? And who are you on stage with? And, and people will often use, I'm on stage with either Oprah Winfrey or Anthea Robbins. It's like two cliches. And, I mean, that's a lofty goal, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them where they're at. I get really clear on where they're at. And quite often it's, you know, in a small town or a small city and they've, they've, they haven't really spoken before or they've had a few gigs. And I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of space between mm-hmm. where you are now and where they are. And for them to even care about you, recognize you, or to even want to share a stage with you because you're going to have to you have to have massive value, right, is the reality that can be cruel is I, I, I simply go, You've, this is 10 years. This is 10 years' work. This is 10 years' work of you practicing literally five days a week for an hour, an hour a day and you being obsessed with this. The, the journey to get there is fun. This is what you've got to remember too. The journey to get there is all your little milestones, your first workshop, your, maybe your first retreat, your first thing in Vegas, your first New York gig. You know, the, the journey's fun. But if you really want to hit that lofty goal, you're going to have to be at a level where Oprah goes, that person's going to make me look good on my show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Anthony Robbins is going to go, that person can look after 10,000 people while I'm out back having a rest. Or do you, I mean, it doesn't happen if you don't do the work. So, when I had that epiphany during the week when I was presenting and that word, the idea came out of only by me demanding the best will the best demand me is I'm starting to work with people on a higher level. And these people want me to push them really hard because that's what I would pay for, right? You know, I'm not playing for someone who's like, oh, you didn't do your work, Andrew. That's okay. We'll, we'll just go back to what we did last week. I want someone to kick me in the ass because I want to be the best. Right. So, and, and that's what you pay for. So my clients now realize that I'm all over them if they don't do the work. I demand it from them. That makes some people drop out, but it makes me get the results from the ones who want it. See what I mean? And that's what that, that matching your talents, your ambition is, your skill level. I know where they need to be. I know the skills that they need to not just know and use but be to a, a level where they become automatic you know what i mean and then everything will start to look after itself that makes perfect sense i mean at the end of the day you do have to do the work and i i think that i think there's there's this this feeling of entitlement through some people where they're just like great i'm here i'm a good looking person i can handle oh. a microphone give me my stuff you know i'm, I'm here i'm here yeah. i'm here it was me in my 20s <laughs> that was that was me it was probably it was probably you when we, we I, I remember i remember saying just give me a role just give me a film just give me a film like hollywood put me in the leading role i'll be a superstar and now i look back and go oh my god oh my god i would have been destroyed i would have 
I would have lost that production company hundreds of millions of dollars. I would have destroyed everyone's career. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And and you see presenters doing this now. As, as, and again, this can rub people up the wrong way. But I often ask in my in my group, or I ask someone, this is, what do you feel like you need in your presenting right now? And people will go, I need more opportunities. And I laugh, and I'm like, no, you don't. You need to be better. Because that looks after itself. It does. It it does. It it truly does. I mean, I know this. I've experienced it. And mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where as this sideways situation has progressed and continued and my heart hurts because I miss being mm-hmm. in front of an audience. And I, I don't mean that from an ego way. I it's we create moments where I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I just want to Mm. articulate this properly for my listeners right now, because it's Mm. one of those things where when you are doing what you love and you're in alignment and you're doing that thing, that's when, like I said, time stops, you're in the moment, you're in the flow, you're Mm. in the channeling place where all of a sudden a moment happens in the room and you just know exactly what to say and the entire room bursts out laughing because you called that moment and then you segue into something else that's profound and deep which is the same word. And you, you know, it's one of those things where if you're not doing what you are meant to do for long enough, it can affect you psychologically, right? I mean, that's, at least that's what I've been dealing with in in some capacity. Thank God I have a meditation practice that keeps me centered, but I do miss it. You touched on something super, super profound before about taking an opportunity that you're not necessarily 100% ready for and then growing into it. And I want to explore that real quick because I do think that the vast majority of my personal growth in presenting, and when I say presenting just for everyone, that means television hosting, that means live event hosting, it means public speaking. We're just using presenting because that's essentially what it is. That's the proper English word for it, but we say other things differently here. I want to talk about that because I feel like the vast majority of my growth has happened when I said, yep, I'll do it. Even though I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to do my best because I have a skill set. And then I was able to grow into it. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think a lot of people might be scared to jump in. And I know we were running a little bit short on time. So I want to explore that real quick. And then if if you could, I do want to also talk about what you would recommend to my listeners for how they could become more authentic in what they do and in sure. their interactions as well. So, but I want to start in, uh, on the growing into something part first. Okay. So I'm, 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 I, I realize that goal setting doesn't work for me. So, so goal, so I create experiences out in the future that are just beyond where I am now. And then I really map out, I literally, I write out and I put on my phone and my notes, the things that I need to become to, by the time I get to that point in time that I hit the ball out of the park. So I work best when my back is against the wall. It's like when, I, when I'm, I'm looking at something, I'm like, oh, this is a stretch. I always hit the ball out of the park. It's, but this is 27 years into, into, into the making. The growing into an experience is you put something, this, I'm just going to use my retreats as an example. The first, maybe the first big retreat, or going to London or going to New York. And it was... This is a stretch, but when I get there, I just need to hit the ball out of the park. So next year, the numbers double. So I ask myself, I just visualize, who is that guy? How does he hold himself? What is his content? What's the quality of his content? What am I wearing? Even down to little things of what am I wearing? Because what would that guy wear that's different than who I am now? Uh, For example, in London, I wear a suit. I want to look and be that guy. And, And I grow into that. 
the quality of my content. If you've got 100 people coming into your, into your event just to learn from you, how good is your content? Like, how good are you? When you put things on a nice scale and make it tangible, if you've got 1,000 people paying $1,000 each for two days, why are they getting in their cars or their public transport or walking to your event and spending that much money? How good you, must you be? I love that. And that makes it tangible. And then I write down the things that are different between me now and who he is. And then I become those things. I become those things. And by becoming those things, I've grown into that person. And, and, and then equally, those opportunities just seem to be at my level. Does, does that make sense? It does. It does. I think that I think that part of becoming that person that you want to be in that next level is also about experiencing the things along the way, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know that you're talking about that. It's not just, okay, put on a suit and then schedule an event and then everyone shows up. It's, no, it's no, not no. fake. It's not faking it. It's becoming no. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's do the work. It's okay. Well, yep. before a thousand people come to see me, I got to get ten in a room, and then once yep. I get ten, let me get to twenty, and then and then yep. working that way up. And so yep. it's it's going okay. In a year's time, I'm going to be here. In five years' time, this is where I'm going to be if I do mm. all these steps to go there. And I talk yeah. about this all the time, where you can manifest anything you want, but you have to take inspired action. You can't just sit in your bedroom and go, "Great, I'm going to go speak in front of a million people now." That's you not can't manifest the skills. Exactly. Yeah. You have you to. You manifest. have to. You have to work them. Yep. Same way you can't build a body. You can't like build really good yeah. shoulders by sitting at home. You got to go to the gym or do something. You got to go do some handstand pushups or something. Yeah. 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 So you literally just, what are the skills who he has that you don't have now? How does that person hold himself that you don't know? And that's not just going, holding yourself on stage that day. It's like, how do I hold myself all day? Because you've got to become that person. How does he stand? How does he speak? For me, it's finding more textures in my words. It's, it's being able to build crescendos and dropping in on points. It's learning to love the space between the words because the space between the words is, is as powerful as the words themselves. And when I start doing all this, not just on stage, but on a regular basis, I become that person. And then that person can invite those opportunities in. It's not, certainly not faking it till you make it, which is a, a lot of, I'll be all right on the day. It's like, no, be all right beforehand and then just walk on stage and kill it. Exactly. I love that. I think that's so, that's so, so poignant. And, and it's true. The space in between the words are almost as powerful as the words themselves. And that is something that you do learn in stand-up comedy 100%. It's about the pause. You have to mm. learn how to pause and not step on the laugh. And mm. I mean, it's a very similar thing. With I like that, not step on the laugh. Yeah, let them, yeah. give them the space. Like when you say it, if you just cover the silence with a little bit of, of, of speaking right after you've said what you've said, you haven't mm. given their brains a chance to catch up with what you just said. Yes, I love that. That's the, that's the coolest line I've heard for a long time. Not step on the laugh. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. I didn't come up with it. I, I will be. I can't claim responsibility for it. It's, but... <laughs> it's great. It's great, and it, it, I, I use it the same way as you know, uh, to put it in my own jargon. It's like you know, let, yeah, it is. It's let them digest it. Don't step on their thinking. They're, they're going. They're digesting what you just said, if, especially if it's good, and you know when it's good, right? Is let them soak that in, and also your pause is this beautifully dramatic. Is this dramatic pause too, where you're literally demanding that they digest it in a way. You're just sitting there nodding and going, "Yeah." You just think about that for a second. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, as we're about to wrap up, I just want to know what would you say is the number one 
I want I don't want to say tip because I don't like using that, but what would you say yeah. is the key to unlocking your authenticity and really being who you are? Because we touched on this at the beginning that, Easy. you know, sometimes you don't even know who you are. You don't know what that mm-hmm. means. But what would you say is the, the key that unlocks at least the beginning to that journey of figuring out exactly who you are nice. and being authentic? Look, this took me years to figure this out. Um, I even sat on an island of Bali for a couple of years just figuring this out. So look, when you get up in the morning and you sit on the side of your bed, you haven't changed, right? You haven't had to impress anyone or change your state. When you brush your teeth, you haven't had to change your state. You're not trying to impress anybody. It's, but you've still got the same knowledge, right? You've still got the same power and knowledge and skills. When you chat to someone at the cafe or whatever, you haven't kind of, well, most of the time, we haven't changed our state or had to impress anybody. So the step one of the Eggleton presenting method is simply this. When you go to present, and this is just to, to start with, it's not do this the whole way through, but this is your launch pad. When I'm on side of stage or I'm about to go on camera, I don't change my state. I acknowledge my state. How am I feeling today? Uptight, agitated, melancholic, uh, uplifting, excitable, like a coiled spring. And then I don't judge it. So this isn't wrong or right or good or bad or negative or positive for my presenting right now. This is just the place where I begin. So that instead of the whole where people roll, put their shoulders back and go, hey, I'm Andrew Eggleton, or welcome to, it's I just begin because that's me. Right now, that's me. This is me authentic. So I carry that. No change of state. I don't judge the state. And that already puts me in my heart brain. It's already put me in an energetic level. Then allow it just to move where it goes, moment to moment, moment to moment. I think that's I think that's so powerful. And I think that that's something that just about every single human being could benefit from in, in general. I think that works for every interaction. It's not just if you're about to step out on stage uh, and present. 100%. That's for yeah. every interaction because yeah. people can sense when things are inauthentic and people yeah. really, really relate to authenticity. It's it's really a thing. I call it the BS detector. I don't I don't like to use bad mm-hmm. language necessarily sometimes, but it's <laughs> but it's it's true. It's it's the BS detector. People have it. Everyone has it. And so when people are authentic, that is the the most powerful thing. Andrew, I know it's andrewegleton.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. andrewegleton.com. You yeah. see it on the wall right behind you, which is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so for anyone interested, if you're looking to get into presenting, if you're looking for someone to help you really with a shot of just adrenaline to get you into that space, and I don't want to say mm-hmm. a shot of adrenaline, but a shot of adrenaline into your career to put you mm-hmm. in that space, mm-hmm. andrewegleton.com. Andrew is a phenomenal human being. Thank you so much for being here with me today, yeah, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good chat. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.